Welcome to the Surratt Brothers Podcast, a conversation about church, sports, current events, and, well, mostly just church. Today we dive into the Outreach Magazine Top 100 Churches list, the NFL playoffs, and a conversation with our other brother on why pastors really need to just calm down. And now, join me and my brother Chris for today's podcast. All right, welcome to the uh, podcast. I am Jeff Surratt. I am sitting in beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado, and uh, my brother Chris is joining me as well. Chris, uh, where are you sitting right now? I am in Lahaina, Maui, on the island of Maui, Hawaii, right at this moment. So I assume you're on vacation. Um, Thanks for taking time on your vacation in beautiful Maui to hang out with us. Nope, not vacation. I (laughs) I am working, working hard, living here for several months. Uh, although it's it's not bad working on paradise, I will say that. <laughs> so tell our uh, tell our many many thousands of listeners where do you who do you work for? Where do you work? Yeah, I'm an executive pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship, based out of California, Southern California. Greg Laurie is the founding and senior pastor. If you have watched the movie Jesus Revolution, then you know the story of uh, Calvary Chapel and and Greg Laurie specifically, and so that's that's who I work for. They have three campuses, two in Southern California, Riverside, Orange County, and then just happen to have one on the island of Maui, where I am serving right at this moment. Were you were you in that Jesus People movie? I don't remember seeing you. I was not. I'm not. A, I'm not as old as you. I, I did not live through that period. Ah, okay. How long have you worked for Harvest? Uh. Two and a half years, almost three years at this point. And then you said you're temporarily in Maui. Why are you, are they going to, uh, they they have seen the light, they're going to let you go or what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I wish it was sabbatical. Wish they'd sent me here to, you know, spend the next six months just hanging out. But no, we're in a transition period of this campus. We're uh, hiring a new campus pastor. Um, and uh, I am here to leave this campus until we identify that person hopefully on on island but we'll see so like if we wanted to apply for that position would it be like i want to work on maui.com no i guess you're not taking never mind i'm just kidding we don't need open applications <laughs> yeah no i want to work at maui at jeffsrat.com there you go yep yeah that's kind of hurtful i sent my application in uh, weeks ago i've heard nothing back so far but hey that's okay no no harm no foul right yeah, no, I, I would say people have gotten sick of my Instagram weather pics, uh, but it is gorgeous here every single day. Yeah, I've been I've been sick of your Instagram for a long time, but I, yeah, I, I guess it's because of Maui. That's why I actually yeah. have not been on Instagram for a while. So I am, as you know, Chris in Denver. I uh, work for a church. I'm on the executive staff of a church called Journey Colorado. And if there's not a journey church in your community, there should be soon. None of us are connected, but there are journey churches everywhere. I, am, I was going to ask you that. Every city has a journey. Every city. I have a friend who pastors Journey Greeley. I work for Journey Colorado, and I do some coaching for a church called Journey International. So I was wondering, Chris, really, I was wondering if maybe since you're already on Maui, maybe we could join up and start journey galactic intergalactic i thought that would be kind of cool journey international prestige journey prestige international 
Well, there's already a Journey International. That's the one I work with in Kansas City. I, I want to go intergalactic, like a Elon Musk, Church on Mars kind of a thing. Like, I, you know, it's important to get there first. Gotcha. No, I was going Step Brothers, Prestige International, but I can see where this would be bigger. Well, yeah, and I would have had to have ever watched the movie Step Brothers to catch mm. to catch that reference. Um, I have watched mm. many Will Ferrell um, classic flicks. I have not seen that one. It's one of the best. Now, either two, if I was to say watch two, well, three probably would be Elf, Talladega Nights, and Step Brothers. Well, obviously, I have Elf and Talladega Nights. Those are required required to be in our family, I think, but. I have not picked up Step Brothers. I did see, uh, what was the one that the same guy, same two guys, is it John C. Riley? Is that the other guy's name? Mm-hmm. Yep. They did one on, they were Sherlock Holmes. Did you ever see that one? Uh, no, but I think it was named one of the worst movies of this century, if yeah, I remember I, correctly. I just turned 62, so I've watched a movie or two. Um, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, there's, yeah, the worst movie I've ever seen. Didn't Roger Ebert at one point call one movie so bad it shouldn't have stuck to the stuck to, to the, the film? To the, stuck to the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just that. Yeah, <laughs> that just was that. that. Well, hey, I want to dive into the important stuff, and then we're going to talk about church. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, which of course you are because this is our episode one, like you're on the ground floor. So, you know, uh, I talked to you, Chris, a little bit before the the new year started, like, could we do a podcast? My idea is we kind of, it's kind of like an inside baseball for church. Um, uh, I would describe it as a couple couple of guys who love Jesus, love the church, and love kind of digging into what's going on in church and uh, what what's kind of the inside stuff. So I think if you are listening and you are on staff at a church or a leader at a church or a, a key volunteer, um, we'll probably dig into some stuff that you, you, uh, you kind of might be interested in. Does that make sense? Is that kind of what you're thinking as well, Chris? Yeah. I, we, you know, we haven't officially, after this comes out, we'll have some kind of a name, I'm sure. But the name that hit my brain was, uh, two old pastors just chatting about life and ministry and uh, both of us are getting up there in, in age but uh, yeah I, I, we'll talk about you know what I you remember Tony Kornheiser when he had his uh, ESPN show and he would spend about 60% of it actually on sports and 40% on other things that he, he cared about that's what I, I see this as we'll probably do 60% church 40% Talladega Night movies. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. I was thinking today, Chris, how how many different churches have you actually been on staff? And you've worked with dozens and dozens of churches through coaching, consulting. But as far as being on staff, how many different churches have you been on staff at? Um, let's see, officially, let's see, one, two, three, four, four and a half. Because I did do an interim stretch at one, so four and a half. Did you count? I was thinking that through. Did you count the campus at Seacoast as a as an one of those? Because I I know you were at Seacoast, but then you launched a campus three and a half, four hours away from the original campus, and although it was still Seacoast, it, I would count that as even a another church because you started that one. 
Yeah, no, I didn't. That's interesting. So yeah, I would say five and a half because it was, I mean, when we first started it, it wasn't really even going to be a Seacoast campus when we were planning for it. So the launch phase was mostly a uh, an autonomous church and then we rolled into Seacoast. So you're right. Yeah. That's right. How yeah. about you? How many for you? Well, so tell me again why the half church, like it wasn't a very good church or that people were all really short or what well, I didn't catch why it was a half. And uh, it was a church that uh, I filled in, um, in outside of Nashville, in Murfreesboro, and I was part-time, extremely part-time, and I only did it for about six months. Oh, okay. And I was kind of their, their discipleship groups guy until they found somebody. Uh, I got, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. If we start counting those, my numbers get ridiculous. <laughs> well, you're working for three right now. Oh, well, right. just working for one, and then I help do some, just like you, I coach different churches, different leaders and different stuff. I enjoy just being involved with a lot of different churches. Um, let me think. So we were both at the, the tab in Houston, which we managed to put yep. out a bit, put out a business that no longer exists. Um, and no, and not, not only no longer exists, I was there just a couple months ago, neither building that they were in exists. Wow. So the church is gone and the buildings are gone. That's wow. how much of an effect we have. Well, that's why people should listen to us because we're experts. We both worked at a church. We basically, it sounds like we burned it to the ground. So it's gone. So that was the tab. And then I was at a place called Church on the Lake. I lead pastor there. We were both at Seacoast. It survived us. Uh, From Mm -hmm. Seacoast, I went to Saddleback. And then I worked at a church called Southeast Christian. Uh, Now I'm at a church called Journey. I was helped out for a while with a church called Front Range. And then I forgot, I was interim pastor for about six months at a church called Cross Culture. So I don't know if that's a, that's probably a half church. That so counts. I'm, I'm probably at somewhere around seven and a half, eight churches, something like that. So either you and I have a whole lot of inside experience at churches or we just can't keep a job. It's probably a little bit of both. I think it's a lot of both. Yeah. Um, although you and I have put long stretches in. I was at Seacoast for, if you count the campus, for 15 years. You were there about the same amount of time, right? Yeah, I was at uh, I was at the Tab for 10. I was at Seacoast for 14. Um, I was at Saddleback for almost a year, like almost, almost an, a year, almost an entire year. Yeah, you, pretty amazing. You did a drive. You did a drive-through uh, pastor there. You just kind of drove through Orange County on your way to Denver. Well, you know, some people, it takes them a long time to kind of fix what's wrong at a church. It only took me 11 months at C- at Saddleback. So I just, I'm, I'm quicker than other people. Hopefully yeah, there's... That's what I hear around Orange County. I hear that about you. Yeah, hopefully no one from Saddleback is listening um, because they will attest that I didn't fix anything in my 11 months there. But man, I enjoyed my time. Hey, before we dive into church, church, uh, church stuff, church chat, let me get a couple of important things out of the way. First of all, NFL playoffs. I don't know when this uh, episode will drop, but we are in the teeth of the playoffs right now. We each support a football team that is no longer playing this season. So, uh, and you're the you're the Titans, right? That's your Tennessee Titans. That's right, because you have a second coach. You have a second home in uh, Nashville, so it's actually 
primary home. Oh, I, do not, I own one home. Please do not spread that I have multiple homes. I don't know. You live in Maui. You have a home in Nashville. You fly the har you fly the harvest jet back and forth. Or is yeah, there's no harvest jet. There's no harvest jet. That <laughs> no. sucks. Yeah, I've never been at a church that had a jet. That'd be awesome. So anyway, who yeah. you? I'm the Denver Broncos. So you're Titans. I'm Broncos. They both are terrible. So who you got? Who you got in the playoffs? Who do you got in the Super Bowl? Uh, in the Super Bowl, I would like to see uh, the 49ers. I think they've got a good shot this year. Um, I like what they've done. And then I think it'd be fun to see the Bills get in there. And I'd actually pull for the Bills to win it all. I'm, I'm, I mean, going back to the Houston Oilers, I'm not a huge Bills fan for obvious reasons, but I think there's been enough time. And they, uh, I like Josh Allen. I think he's a great quarterback. That's my pick. So did you meet Frank Reich when he came and spoke at Seacoast? I did. I did. I uh, keyed his car in the parking lot. <laughs> so for non-football fans, the Buffalo Bills came back on the Houston Oilers, which Chris and I both lived in Houston and uh came back what was it 32 points yeah biggest yeah, record at that time biggest comeback is still i think in playoff history and beat yeah, the right. beat the oilers and they pulled their superstar quarterback jim kelly and put in uh every man backup frank, frank Reich, and he brought him back at one point chris i think he held the record for biggest comeback in ncaa football history and in the nfl crazy and we got to I sat, yeah. I sat at dinner with him the night he was at Seacoast, and I said, you're the last man in the world I ever thought I'd have dinner with. And he said, Oilers fan? <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. I stood behind him in line when we were getting ready to go in, and I basically told him the same thing. I said, <laughs> um, I'm trying hard not to hate you right now. And what's crazy is the guy is one of the nicest guys, oh strong believer, um, you know, got a raw deal at the Colts. Yeah. Um, this past season, but yeah, just a super guy. I thought he got a really raw deal. He's a good coach. He was a great backup quarterback. And like he said, man, solid believer and nice guy. I hope to never yep. speak to him again. I hold a grudge for a while, but yeah, I like, oh, yeah. yeah, I like what you're saying there. I enjoy watching the bills. I like watching Josh Allen because he's just going to throw it. Like he doesn't care. He mm -hmm. just doesn't, doesn't care. He is going to throw the ball. And sometimes it's amazing when the other team doesn't catch it. So, yeah, I think the Bills would be fun. Living in Denver, I am uh, contractually obligated to hate the Chiefs. So that's a non-starter. You know who I like on the NFC side is, is the Lions. Like, I like the mm. Lions because, one, I like the story. Like, 30 some Stafford. years and Matt Stafford going to the Rams and, and then Goff, uh, coming, Goff over. Yeah. coming over their coach. I can't think of his name. You know, their coach's name. I can't think of it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I can't think of it either. You look at him and it just, he's a football coach. And I fell in love with him a few weeks ago. They were playing the, the Cowboys and they went for a two point conversion to win the game. And it got called back by the refs. So they went for a two point conversion again to win the game and some penalty. So he went a third time and they got stopped. A guy that would do that three times in a row rather than to go to overtime, he's my kind of coach. So I, I want to see Dan, Lions, Bills. Dan Campbell. Is Dan Campbell. Name. Dan Campbell. Yeah. Dan Campbell to me, just he he just exudes football coach. I, I like him. I don't know much about him. Yeah. I like him. All right. I got, uh, I got one more for you before we dive into some church stuff. Um, 
You know, I, I don't know that I do have something for you because what I was going to say is I know who you got in the Super Bowl. I was going to say who you got in the Republican primaries. But one of the one of the candidates is like uh, he's on the one yard line and the other the other candidates are like just now getting the kickoff. Like I I, I don't see a big contest there. I'm not, I'm not going to go political here, but I will say I watched the uh, the Iowa a caucus, which is the dumbest thing in the history of. of <laughs> I love it. I love it. Voting. Are you serious? So you have to be in one room I at the it. same time. <laughs> it's just the dumbest thing. But and it's minus twenty. But anyways, I was watching one of the news channels, and they called it within like five minutes of the <laughs> right. opening. Right. I'm like, that's a route. Yeah. Yeah. They were calling it while people were still getting out of their cars. <laughs> like it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Iowa, I don't know if it's Iowa. Some of the caucuses, they vote by go standing in a corner. Do they do that in That's Iowa? The Democrats. The oh, Democrats okay. do the where you have to go and stand in a box. And then the Republicans, they do it anonymously, but you have to write it on a paper ballot and you have to be in the room to do it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. 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 I'm imagining the average age of a voter who will drive through a room and listen to speeches and then write something on a piece of paper the average age is probably like 72 something like that i don't i don't see a lot of gen z doing that no i i've been to des moines once um that's my whole iowa story and i don't remember seeing anybody under the age of 60 ish so just to recap uh iowa now hates us saddleback doesn't like us have we offended any others oh texas i don't know about texas we're both partly frank, from from texas so yeah frank reich I, oh that's he right doesn't, he's not he doesn't cool. like he's not us cool oh no. indianapolis doesn't like us because we said they shouldn't have fired him so yeah i think we're off to a good start in episode one so for yeah. uh for the one person still watching or listening uh hey d that's our sister so i'm assuming <laughs> she's she's still on hey church chat uh so i just i don't know why but this week i thought you know, I haven't looked at Outreach Magazine's 100 largest or 100 fastest growing churches in in years. I don't know, those of you listening, I don't know if you know, but Outreach is an insider magazine for church leaders. And every year, I think, they compile a list of the 100 largest churches, the 100 fastest growing churches, and the 100 um, multiplying, reproducing. yeah, reproducing churches, that's it. So I don't know, did you, have you taken a look at those lists in a while, Chris? No, that's what I was going to say. I, I, you put it on the list for us to talk about. And I was like, well, I need to look that up. Cause I, I don't think I've looked at it in since 2019, at least. Yeah. yeah, no, it's been a long time for me too. So, so you did take a look. I did. You know, what was, what popped out to me, it was interesting as I looked through it, looking at it through the eyes of somebody who hasn't seen it in several years. And back in the day, I looked at it every year. I mean, you used to have to buy the magazine to actually get the list. You couldn't just go online and look at it. And I would order the magazine just to look at the list. But some of the churches are the same, but the pastors are different. Oh, so it's really? just interesting to me that there's several churches that are legacy, I would call them legacy churches, that now have different pastors. Several of them are like sons, like Seacoast Church. You know, obviously I knew that one, but there were several that I went, hmm. That's interesting. That's a new name. So who did you see that was a new name that, that like popped out at you? 
Um, I mean, a lot of things are I kind of already knew, but like, um, uh, uh, I'm looking down the list. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to bring it back up. It disappeared on my screen, so I'm bringing it back up too. Uh, oh, Lake Point Church. Oh yeah, um, yeah. My friend Josh Josh Howerton is now the the pastor there, and that's just been in the recent Mariner's Bo Church. Wait, wait, wait. Boom. That was Chris's first name drop of the podcast. So I just want to make sure that we, that we, my well, friend, Josh Howerton, that's good. That's good. Well, he was in Nashville. He was a pastor in Nashville. So I know him a little oh. bit from there, but, um, uh, uh, Baroness Church, also a friend, Eric Geiger. Boom. He was my boss. So I could, I can say that. I oh, sure. You should be able to, to name drop everybody. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Surratt, obviously. Um, there, were, hey, there were a few more. Hey, I know him. Do you, are you friends with him? Who, Josh Surratt? No. Well, I'm friends with him. I don't. I follow him. How's that? Josh is related to us, isn't he? I think he doesn't talk to us, but he's related no, to us. He does too. Uh, Josh Chris is Brown, North Northwest. Well, I was just gonna say Josh is our nephew. Uh, and he's a great guy and he talks talks to us yes he does but uh yeah north coast chris brown um yeah several so that was interesting so it looks like the baton is being passed on some of these large legacy churches yeah so chris brown he replaced um larry osborne did yep. you know did you know i know larry osborne do you know i know chris brown i do too so okay you're still up what are you up two three Two to, two to two to one because Josh doesn't count because we're related to him. There's a lot of pastors we're related to. How many pastors are we related to? Do you have any idea? Like round Somebody number? Somebody asked me that just the other day, and I was trying to count going into cousins and all that, and yeah. I don't. Yeah. I lost count or I lost track. I think it's I think it's still over twenty. Like actively pastors who work at churches. Um, I, I think it's over 20, but I haven't counted in a while. You know what oh, wow. jumped, you know, is interesting, jumped out to me, and this is very insider church, so I don't know if anybody else cares, but I'm looking at the 100 largest. You notice the first, the top one, number one, is Life Church out of Edmond, Oklahoma. Hey, did you know I know mm -hmm. Craig, Craig Rochelle? Um, uh, yeah, I did know that, yes. Yeah, yeah. But congratulations. By the way, number two, Chris Hodges. Did you, did you know I know Chris Hodges? Yeah. Talk about uh, how much he likes to golf with you. I'd like to hear that story. <laughs> I have to tell that story sometime. The first time I met Chris, we golfed together, and I'm not a golfer, and Chris is a phenomenal golfer. And so let's just say we weren't a great a great partner. Here's what's interesting. I, I'll stop uh, name dropping because I'm out of people I know. Oh, but go to number three. I know Joel. Joel Osteen. You, you played basketball against Joel. You don't know Joel. That counts. Yeah. That counts. Yeah, well, we can go all the way down to six. We both know Todd Mullins. True. Todd's a great guy. Oh, they all are. You know, it's funny. Okay, side note, Chris. Um, and, you know, we're being jerks by bragging about who we know. Um, we only know people because our older brother is super famous, which I think we're going to talk, talk to him a little later today. But, um, you know, here's what gets me is if you read online and people are attacking this megachurch pastor and that megachurch pastor, most of the time you find out they don't know them personally. And the guys that I'm looking at here, like we don't hang out, but I know Craig, I know Chris, I know 
Todd. Um, you've spent some time around Joel. I haven't really, but Felipe. Oh, that's great. Number seven. Oh, this is great. Number seven, Saddleback Church. Felipe Santos. Felipe. Yeah. That's awesome. Andy Wood is the pastor of Saddleback Church. Felipe pastors the church that Andy used to pastor uh, called Echo Church. So Yeah, exactly. Anyway, my point was these are good guys. Like, I'm not saying that everything they do is perfect. I'm not saying I agree with, you know, I don't agree with everything I say or do, but yeah. So I think anyway, here's what, here's what I, I, I have a point. Can you believe it? I actually have a point. If you look, number one, Life Church, 85,000. Number two, Church of the Highlands, 60,000. Number three, Lakewood Church, 45,000. It jumped out at me that it's very surprising that every one of those churches have an exact even number for their attendance. And as you skip through the list, you'll see a lot of churches that have ex even numbers, like to all the way out to four digits, three digits, four digits out. Mm -hmm. And I haven't looked into the uh, methodology I, I need to, but you know what my guess is, Chris? My guess is, is that these churches don't report their attendance anywhere and that these are just kind of educated guesses about how many people come. So you're saying an educated guess by the people who put the list together or by the churches that Yeah, I don't submit it? Well, I mean, okay. So we used to hang around with Life Church a lot, right? And and love those guys. They count like they are very good at counting, right? They they created a software, I don't know if it's still out there, called Church Metrics, which is designed to help count people. So Life Church knows, I think, to the last person who attends every Life Church campus anywhere in America. I don't think they would throw out 85,000 as their attendance. I think that I think that somebody somewhere, I'm not blaming anybody, I get it, but I, don't, I think they're guessing. I think it's a guess. Well, I, I had another thought looking at it. I know for a long time, certain churches would not report. Like they yeah. purposely did not report. And Life Church was one of them. Uh, Secos was one of them. Um, you know, there were a few that are back on the list. So I, I think you may be right that they have been put on the list by somebody else, and it is an estimate. And I'm looking at one of the churches that I know. I know exactly that their attendance, and that's not it. Yeah. So I think you could be. I could. But then you see one like Eagle Brook, twenty thousand nine hundred and twenty-three. Right. Those guys. That's. I'm guessing that's to the person. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing. I. I'm not saying good or bad on either side. Whether no. you report, you don't report. I understand why the guys at this magazine are guessing because, like. Again, I said this is inside church stuff. People know that Life Church has the most people coming on the weekend, but when they don't show up on the list, it kind of it kind of cheapens what they're trying to do. And I'm not saying I agree with putting out a list like this. It's none of my business. This magazine is they can do whatever they want. I just think it's interesting since I hadn't looked in years to see this these churches back on there. And like you mentioned Eagle Brook, little a little bit familiar with Eagle Brook. They are very very good at systems, very good at counting. So I would imagine that 2923 is accurate, very, very accurate. So yeah, I thought I thought yeah, I had a point. Maybe I don't have a point. Well, I just read the fine print and I think I, I know the answer now. Oh, okay. Um, 
they they got it from the Lifeway Research Survey, which is you have to submit. But then they also drew numbers from the Hartford Institute for Religion Research, uh, which is not a survey, but is a secondary research drawn from publicly available attendance data. I don't know if you've looked at that list, but that list is sometimes years old. And oh, I think okay. that's, yeah, where some of that comes from. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the guy who keeps that list. Like we're getting so inside 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 that no one could possibly care but um i i i don't know him personally but i know the guy who who keeps that list that's a good point yeah i don't have a point here i think it's interesting um i think i guess this is a bit of a segue though into what i do want to talk about a little bit more you know about church um it's easy to look at this list and think that number one is the goal, right? Like if you're ultimately successful, could I get to number one on the list? Or could I get to number 100 on the list? Or could we move up 10 spots? And I don't know, man, I have found, I, I'm not anti keeping attendance. I'm not anti making a list. What I find is when we start making the goal, that we're going to be bigger or that we're going to be bigger than or that we're going to grow by to this number by X. I maybe I don't know, maybe it's not everybody, but for me, that creates a uh, it creates a motivation that leads me down down the wrong path of of I need to do whatever it takes to get there. And if I don't get there, I I'm not doing what God wants me to, or I'm not fulfilling, you know, the potential that I have, or you, do you, I mean, what do you think about that kind of stuff, Chris? So I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I had the experience of when I, I planted the church that became a campus. Um, I had numbers in my mind compared to people I knew um, that were kind of in my region that they had gotten to within a certain amount of years and I felt like I was a failure because I didn't reach those numbers. Um, and for me, that falls more on the fastest growing side of, of the list uh, because that's when you get into churches that are like, you know, 500 to 1500 in a, in, a, in a month kind of thing. And you go, oh, wow, what is wrong with my church that I couldn't grow that fast in a year, three years, five years? Um, and I'm with you. I don't disparage the list. I mean, I think it's not bad having a list, but I do think that as a lead pastor looking at it, especially a church planter, it can be really depressing and have the opposite effect of what I, I believe that the outreach team is what to go for, which is celebration. We all say we want to celebrate other churches, but it's also markers for how unsuccessful we are as we look at it. That's a great way to put it. Like, yeah, I want to I want to celebrate your success unless your success is more than my success, <laughs> and, then, and then I don't feel so good about your success anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you don't you look at the numbers like, and you go, yeah, of course they're in Dallas, Texas. Of course they're growing oh, by a absolutely. thousand every week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Odoke, whatever. You know, there's no way. That's the stuff that you look at and you go, you try to justify. Yeah. Uh, their success. Yeah. And so it kind of and then and, and kind of the segue into into what I've been thinking 
is I remember that 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 drive. It's as I said, I, I just turned 62. I'll probably mention that eight more times because I am now I'm now eligible to start drawing Social Security. I don't have Social Security inside pastor thing that many pastors know why I don't have Social Security, but I don't. And but if I did, I could start drawing it now, which makes me feel very old. But um, yeah, I remember that drive, not just me, but being in a fast growing church, fast growing staff. I, I had a, a pastor of a very large church tell me one time, you know, we're at X thousands now. And boy, when we get to this size, then we'll be somewhere. And what I've realized is there is no there there. So there is no number, whether you're 100 trying to get to 200 or 200 to five, wherever it's at, whatever number there is, there, there is no sense of we've arrived, we're where God called us to based on a number. And so then what we have to do is look at, you know, it's not the outreach 100 list problem. It's an internal problem. And for me, it's that drive that I've got. I have to get somewhere and I have to get there soon. I have to get there quickly. Um, I, I, I told you, Chris, uh, <laughs> right before Christmas, uh, Sherry and I, my wife Sherry and I are in New Orleans and we're enjoying, we're Saturday night, we love listening to uh, live music, jazz, and we love great food. So there's, have you been to New Orleans, Chris? Yeah, several yeah. times. Yeah, so you know, it. no better place on earth for food and live oh, jazz. It's literally the best. The best. Yeah, so we, uh, we're going to go and listen to some music, get some dinner and then listen to some music. And we said, hey, let's stop at Cafe Du Monde, right? Cafe Du Monde, you have to stop, you have to get beignets and coffee. So we went, mm -hmm. and what I didn't know is you have to also pay cash. And I had no cash. I haven't had cash since 1985. And so I said, Sherry, you get a table, I'll get some cash, I'll come back, I'll meet you. So I go a couple blocks, it's Saturday night in the French Quarter in New Orleans, it's packed, people are partying, and I find an ATM. And I'm headed back to the cafe, and I don't know why I'm in a hurry, but I'm in a hurry. I, I, I guess I thought Sherry's going to eat all the beignets before I get back. I don't know. But I trip over a cobblestone, and I fall. <laughs> and I fortunately caught myself with my face, so nothing serious was damaged. But mm. I, I, I got up. I stumbled a few feet. I sat down on a curb. And I, I, I was praying and my prayer was, don't let me pass out. And the reason I didn't want to pass out is because if you are a pastor and you are discovered unconscious on a street in New Orleans on a Saturday night before a Saints football game, you will be, I won't say the name of it, but you will be a headline in one of those websites that, that specializes in pastor scandal you know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. so i'm praying god don't let me pass out don't let me pass out and i didn't i survived i hurt my wrist a little bit but what i kind of thought started thinking about that is i was in a hurry and that's my besetting sin right i'm in a hurry i've when i was on staff we've got to grow this church uh i mean you were a big part of seacoast expanding we got to go to two sites and then three sites and then oh we can start two sites at the same time so we'll go to six sites and and we just had to grow sites and grow and get bigger and you were 
you referred to it when you're at Greenville, it wasn't just internal for you. It was coming from, from me as well as I kind of led multi-site. Oh, we got to grow faster and faster. And it was a hurry to get somewhere. And, and so I've been kind of wondering about that, like the pressure of hurry. Do you, do you feel that at all? Or do you resonate with that? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I've worked for, uh, I guess three now, very large churches. Um, and two of them were very fast growing on the young side. The one I'm at is is very large, but it's been around for a long time. It's a legacy type church, still growing, but not 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 the just warp speed of growth. And it's easy to uh, when you're in those situations just to look past the people in front of you and the growth that's happening right in front of you and to what's next. And I remember somebody told me, it may have been our oldest brother, I hate crediting him for good things, but I think he may have said at one point, because I was going through that, man, my church is not growing like I thought it would. We're, we were supposed to be at this number, and it's not. And he said, here's the deal. Pastor the people in front of you, and you know, God will do the rest. And I've always remembered that. You know, it's slow down. Pastor the people in front of you, and probably your church is going to grow eventually. It may not grow one, you know, 100x, but you know you're going to always have new people coming in, and they're in front of you. Whoever's in front of you, pastor those people, care for those people, and let God do the rest. Um, and I and I work for a consulting company. We go in and we help churches kind of break some of those barriers and all of that. But if you're not discipling people if you're not pastoring them it's it's eventually going to crumble and we see stories after you know about that over and over but yeah no i, I definitely have felt that that hurry of it's got to be the next next barrier next second sir or third service next campus and yeah we're too old guys we just don't do that anymore so you work for a consulting company what's the name of that company unstuck church do you think because we mentioned them they'll they'll like sponsor our podcast like, uh, they'll want us to they'll, they'll want us to pay them yeah uh, so like if i said this segment brought to you by the unstuck group that's not going to get us anything no nah, i don't think so i'll ask tony i'll we'll put in a word we'll try thanks for the name drop though that's the first name drop you've done that might get us somewhere the rest of them they're not it's not helpful <laughs> Yeah. Have you read John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? I have. Big fan. So I'm the last one to read it. Like the entire world read it, but I just finished it. I just felt like it was really good. Like I felt like, especially the first, all of it was good, but like the first two thirds of it, it was like, yeah, this, this is what I'm feeling um, uh, with this idea of just more, 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 go, go, go. And, and how do we continue to lean in on ministry? How do we continue to care about people coming to Jesus without trying to trying to hurry it? Yeah, no, I had the same thing. I, I read it when it came out um, because I tend to, you know, read things when they're hot and everybody's reading them. Not really, but I happened to read this one when it first came out. And it actually was great for me because I was in a season of, uh, you know, the, the hurry season and, and going through a bit of a breakdown. and my body shutting down on me. So it was super, super helpful to read through his steps to overcome that. And I think the biggest thing I took out of there is just a new appreciation for the Sabbath 
And, you know, I, I tend to think of the Sabbath as a day off, but really, if you're intentional with it, like John, like John Mark talks about, and, you know, he doesn't deal with a dinner with his family, and it's very intentional. It's a whole different thing for your spirit and your soul than just laying on a couch and watching, you know, football on your day off. And right. so it's been a couple of years, but that's what I remember. Yeah, no, it was really good. Hey, I have a question. You you said there, you said John Mark instead of John Mark Comer. I wonder what he goes by. Like when you talk to him, do you have to say, hey, John Mark, or is it John or hey, JM or Mr. Comer? Like what's the right way to refer to John Mark Comer and not say John Mark Comer? Well, I just texted him. So yeah. uh, give me about five seconds. He'll text me back and I'll let you know. You don't know. You don't know. Nice no. try. Nice no, try. But he is one. He is one of those probably three names guys. Like the uh, you know some actors every once in a while come along and they're three names. I think he's our three name pastor. Oh, like what is it? Daniel Day Lewis is that kind of the Daniel three Day name? Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So John Mark Comer is the Daniel Day Lewis of church. Philip Seymour Hoffman, although he's dead. That's probably not. Prob no, we're not. No, that's yeah. not. We're not. Let's stay with Daniel Day Lewis. That'll be good. But it seems, seems like you could go either that way, or you can be like Cher or Madonna or Joel. Would you say in the pastor world? Yeah, I was going to say, who is the one name pastor, Joel? Andy? Rick? Rick? Yeah, Rick was. He might still be, but yeah. 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 How about Andy? You think Andy's a one one name pastor? Uh, he's a little too controversial right now, but yeah, I'd say he's a. It's okay. I don't think he's. He's a hot, he's a hot topic. I I yeah. I know. we're not going. <laughs> we're not going there. Craig Craig's a one name guy. Like if I to to inside church people, like if I say, "Oh, I was listening to Craig's podcast," like they're not going to say, you know, Craig Ferguson, Craig Smith, what Craig? Like they know who I'm talking about. No, you're you're right. Yeah, yeah. I was watching Joel this morning. Yeah, you're gonna know who that. Is. Absolutely, absolutely. Did I tell you? Did I tell you I know Craig Groeschel? That I can't remember. Um, uh, no, no, you didn't. I know Bobby Grunewald. I do too. So, did you know Bobby Grunewald and you are why I got on Twitter? Yes, I still have the tweet where I shamed you. Yeah, and said Jeff is here making fun of me tweeting. Yep. Yep. And I'm trying to convince him that he needs to do it. Yep. Do you remember what year that was? Because I do. That was uh, 2009. Wrong. 2008. So there you go. Uh, That's how I got on Twitter. So we're talking about, you know, hurry and hustle and and pressure to always be moving forward. You know, who, you know, who we got to talk to, you know, to see what he thinks about it. Uh, Greg, maybe. Is that a one word? Can Greg do one word? Great. No, I don't think so. Not even in our family. Like, that's true. I work for Greg Laurie now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're, I think we're talking about Greg Surratt. Our, let's talk to Greg. Hey, Greg. Thanks for uh, joining us uh, today. Wanted to chat with you a little bit about this, uh, the idea of retreat and what you're learning, but you're at a uh, you're at a retreat in January when we're recording this on Lake Huron. Can you help us understand a little bit about your thinking into scheduling uh, yourself into. Uh, it's called a 
tundra. That's called a scheduling fail. It's not just this retreat. This is my second one this week uh, and my third podcast. And uh, uh, the other one was even further north in Michigan than this one was up at uh, Traverse City. And there is, oh, it's the wind chills below zero. The yeah. people are great. It's warm inside, but it is miserable outside. Well, I think it uh, probably extremely miserable for you because the uh, the gap in temperature from where you you normally are in Charleston would probably be today about seventy degrees gap. Yeah, huge. So you huge. You, I, don't, I don't know whose idea this was. I think it was mine, but uh, whatever. You spend the majority of your time at the church at. Uh, or the retreat at Church Creek, Chris and I have both been there. It's beautiful. I think you have about 60 acres there on the waterfront. And uh, it's just, it's a blast. There's fishing. You've got uh, freshwater and saltwater fishing. You've got uh, shotgun range. It's all kinds of recreational things. But what's amazing is the number of pastors. You host retreats pretty much every week for pastors. I think you have probably 15 is the an average would be my guess. But t- tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about how many pastors have come through since you uh, since you started the retreat there? Just got a number today. Uh, tech, they texted me a number that said that we had 808, I believe, this past year. A total of uh, over 1,500 uh, in the two and a half years since we've been doing it. In fact, right now we're doing, um, you know, we usually do a Monday through Thursday, and now we're doing uh, Thursday through Sunday also. So we're doing double shifts wow. uh, there in Charleston. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, I, I've experienced uh, the retreat uh, two or three times. I think I've been there three different times for a retreat and then for some other things that you invited us out to. And the experience has been really, really good each time. Um, what do you think, Greg? What's the appeal? I, I, you don't. I could be wrong, but I don't think you've had just like a massive advertising campaign or anything like that. People know you from being founding pastor at Seacoast Church, from being a founder of the Association of Related Churches. But but what I hear is I've heard several guys tell their friends, you've got to go. You've got to go see what's happening at at the retreat. And you're at some retreats up in Michigan, too. What what are pastors finding? I guess is what I'm asking. When they come to the retreat, what do you think they're looking for? What do you think they're finding there? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, the a lot of pastors are familiar with the George Barna study from a year ago, two years ago, something like that, that said that 42% of pastors uh, are experiencing burnout. And the specific question said, uh, if you could, over the past year, you ever thought about leaving? If you could leave, if you could quit, if you could do something else, would you do it? 42% say yes. And so um, uh, even if you're not in that 42%, uh, post-COVID, you're tired. <laughs> and uh, there's there's a lot we could talk about there. But what they get at the retreat, uh, Barney in his, uh, in his survey also asked those who said yes, and they asked those who said no, and they were the same answers, but he asked them, uh, what's the biggest issues? And the top two uh, were the stress of the job. And we know there's a lot of facets to that. That was number one. And number two was isolation and loneliness. And so what we do at the retreat 
is we introduce them to just a quick injection of what it means to be stress-free. I mean, it's we, we don't let you carry your baggage. We have the best food you're going to eat at a retreat and uh, all the activities you talked about and more. They can do all of them or none of them. You know, it, it's just a place to really, uh, really catch up stress-wise. And then um, we introduce them to relationships, which is the antidote for isolation and loneliness. And uh, God has helped us to get into in-depth conversations. We often hear, you know, somebody say, I've, I've never really said this before. Or, you know, uh, and, and one of the beautiful things is, well, that's that's enough, right? I could go on and on and on. But it's uh, it's those two things. It's it's dealing with the immediate stress and and uh, immediate relationship. Yeah, I I love that. I think that's what I've just, you know, have seen when I've been there and also I've brought friends with me and I think the relationship thing is a huge piece of it but today kind of trying to I'm trying to figure out the stress side of it and Chris and I are talking about hurry a little bit today and hurry and ministry and the, this was <laughs> driven home to me in a tangible way in December when I wasn't hurrying ministry I was trying to run down a sidewalk and fell flat on my face <laughs> fortunately broke my fall with my face so no real damage was done but i Chris, he's always been pretty athletic that way uh, yeah that's not, that. nothing's changed since he turned 70. it's been the same <laughs> yeah. yeah one he's not quite 70 and two you're both correct i could have fallen on my face at any point in my life but that it, it kind of had a spiritual thing for me really is of driving home this idea of why are you hurrying and that was in a practical way but i I'm, I'm trying to greg unpack the idea around ministry because when i'm when i've been at the retreat one of the many things guys have said is i took a nap for the first time in a year or 10 years i i relaxed i i kicked back i i wasn't writing a sermon i wasn't i wonder and and maybe this is coming out of left field i've never asked you this before greg we all three of us worked together at Seacoast in the in some of the formative years when Seacoast was taking off. Are there any things that you've learned now that you're you're in a different role with Seacoast, a different role with our you're leading the retreats? But as you look back at the time when you were in it every week, you were the every week I got to have a message. Every week we got to figure out another challenge. Is there anything that you've learned now that you would go, man, if I could turn the clock back about 15, 20 years, and I could talk to Greg in the in the middle of the time when the church was just growing and blowing and going, what would you say to yourself from what you've learned or are learning now? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the things I would say is, you know, the stuff that I think I thought uh, was super important a lot of it really isn't uh you know you live and die with the message on the weekend you need to do a good job but it's not the end of the world like you think it is a lot of things are not the end of the world and sitting here you know uh at my age just had a birthday uh, i would yeah i'd say uh pace is a whole lot more important than i thought it was at 35 or 40 years old and um we've all heard the term it's a it's a marathon not a sprint i would say it's a marathon relay uh, because you want to 
pass the baton. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if you look at it that way uh, and, and you look at what we're created to do and be, then the pace has to take a bigger priority. So um, give me an idea of, uh, and I know you have these conversations with, with guys every week, like you, you have guys come through the retreat that pastor uh, what I would call a normal size church, you know, maybe it's two, three, 400. And then you have guys who charge mm -hmm. pastor large churches and then very, very large churches. And you have everybody there at the retreat. And one of the things that I mm -hmm. love side note is there's really you don't spend any time comparing who's got the biggest church like that's not what the retreat is about but as you talk to all these guys what's one or two just really practical things like pace i love that and i i i really also am in learning hey a lot of the things that seem so important 15 years ago in a church aren't that important but what would be something practical one or two th real practical things like i'm 35 I'm, I'm leading this church. It's growing. Ooh, maybe I've got a couple of kids in the house. Like, what is one or two practical things you say to these guys when, when they come to you asking you questions? Yeah. And, you know, the, the not good news is the stress is not going to go away. Okay. It's going to be that people are, are you know, uh, you care about people. Uh, people die, people have problems in relationships, uh, finances come and go, you know, all of the things, then you've got family stuff. Um, so the things that bring stress are always going to be there. And you've got to get more effective at how you deal with them. And there's a lot to that. Um, I, I like to see just, let's just take the rest part of it. Um, I have identified rhythms of rest that all of us really need because when we introduce people to guilt-free naps at the retreat which is by the way the most popular thing we have i tell them i say your wife's not here your husband you know whichever sex it happens to be or you know no board members nobody's here no kids a guilt-free nap and you'd be surprised like you said at how many people it's all they need it's like elijah who was burning out in the Old Testament, God said, let's get this guy a nap. And that's that's quick and that's right now and that's important, but it doesn't help you, you know, six weeks from now or a year from now. So I have rhythms of rest that I suggest, five of them, I'll go through them real quick, uh, a daily rhythm of rest. And that's something I didn't always get right. And I feel better about it today. Just uh, seeing it as, receiving the father's love you know just basically i'm just going to rest in the lord and so a daily rest a weekly rest a sabbath you would be surprised or maybe you wouldn't be how many guys i'll ask i, I did it i did a retreat earlier this week with uh probably three or four hundred people in it and uh i asked them how many of you have a consistent day off and it's less than half i asked it at the retreat with 15 people it's less than half. Um, you, you can't function long-term working every day. And so I've got a lot of ideas on that, but you've got to have a day off. And then there's a quarterly rest, which uh, I define as a weekend with your spouse without kids. You take your kids, it's a trip. It's not rest. 
but a weekend with your spouse and then a yearly rest, which is a vacation. And, um, you know, I define that as uh, three weeks would be optimal. And uh, some guys look at you like, are you kidding me? You know, I could never do that. No, you, we can and we can help you. Um, and then uh, the fifth one is a Sabbath rest, a sabbatical rest every seven years where you just really unplug and uh, uh, refresh. So you've got to have rhythms, not just, well, I'm going to catch a nap every once in a while, or I'm going to take Wednesday off this week rather than Friday or whatever it is. You need rhythms of rest if you're going to last the long haul. Hey, Greg. Um, one of the tools that I think Satan uses, especially with pastors, and I've had it in my life, is uh, isolation. Um, we mm -hmm. can easily isolate ourselves, and it's a lonely job. Uh, any, Really, any at the top of the organization can be really lonely. And I think one mm -hmm. of the tricks for a lot of pastors is they know they need community, but they're afraid of doing community with people in their church, especially yeah. if it's a smaller church. You know, they can't really open up. And you guys provide that uh, to some degree at the retreat center. But what is your advice mm -hmm. for pastors to say, how do I find community that I can really, you know, be myself in uh, even outside of my church? How, how do they do that? Yeah, I think I think first you've got to identify it as a priority. I have to have this. It's like the air that I breathe. You know, if I'm underwater, I got to find air somehow. Got to be a tank. Got to break through the water. Got to do something. And relationship is absolutely key. And uh, so I've got to say I've got to have that um, at the retreat. You know, if you can get to a retreat, that's 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 ideal because we're going to help you there and we just see it every 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 week and then we hear from people who come back or we hear from them you know just uh through email or whatever that they've met uh lifelong friends and um they're beginning to share their life together and that there's an art to that too uh, I, I think that everybody needs I, I like to say that everybody needs to sit at a at least one table with a group of people who love you. Number one, they love you. Number two, they're not impressed with you. Okay. If they're impressed with you, then it's more of a mentor mentee type thing or, you know, or a church. But that's why with church members, sometimes it, it, it doesn't work because they should be a little impressed with you. I hope, but uh, people that love you, they're not impressed with you and they're able to uh, speak the truth to you. And you need those three things. And where do you find them? Well, look around in your relationships and uh, that God is bringing into your life or go to a retreat, uh, uh, you know, text somebody, have coffee. They don't have to be in the same area. Uh, it's going to make it a little bit more uh, difficult and intentional if they're not in the general geographics that you are. But you, you, you say, we're going to make this a priority. We're going to go to a retreat together. We're going to go on a vacation together. Uh, I know guys that every Sunday afternoon uh, make a call, you know, and they'll do a, a, you know, a Zoom call or whatever to three or four guys. And they all want to quit, you know, because Sunday afternoon is universally, that's when you just, you know, your adrenaline uh, re, re, uh, repleted or depleted and, uh, uh, but they, they call and, and check up on one another. 
but you've got to be intentional about it. I, I, I help out occasionally with a, a search pastor search firm, and they never launch searches on Mondays uh, no. because that's <laughs> when every pastor wants another job. Exactly. It may be Barna had his survey on Monday. I don't know. But, but what's interesting about that, though, is that we do surveys at the retreat. Um, we didn't at first, so we've got about 350 responses. I don't think Barna's was just 400 uh, responses in a survey. And so we're building ours. But that 42% burnout is exactly where ours is today. Uh, I wished it was going down. Uh, but it's not so. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's ironic and and also interesting for the three of us to talk about um, connection relationship. How do you do that? Because we know each other. We're all three introverts, and some people exactly. A lot of people wouldn't see you as an introvert, but you are an introvert. And oh, I am. I am. I call myself a functioning introvert and Chris, what do you call yourself? Like you're, you probably are the winner of the introvert circle. I'm kind of an ambivert. I mean, it depends on the situation, but you know, if you dig into what introvert actually is, it's how you get your energy. Right. It's not how you interact with people. So a lot of times we think pastors can't be introverts because they have to be on and talk to people and all of that. And I actually love that, but that depletes me. Well, I get energy is when I'm alone or with just one other person. Yeah. Yeah. But I, as an introvert myself, like Greg, what you were talking about being an inten intentional, I moved to Denver 12 years ago. I knew two people and found out one of them didn't know he knew me. And so I, I actually knew one person. And so as an introvert, I just started looking up uh, churches online, finding how to get to the pastor. And I just started asking everybody to coffee. Because I was just, I needed relationship. And so for probably three years, I just asked tons of people to coffee. Half of them didn't like me. The uh, 20, 30% of them I didn't like. But I wound up with this really great group of pastors that I do life with. And it was just because of what you're saying, right? Just intentionality, just coffee after coffee after coffee after coffee. Well, what's interesting, Jeff, about that is from an outside point of view, um, you were reaching out because you needed friends. And so I hear the other side of that story and I hear people all the time from, cause we're from Denver. And so I'm back a few times and all of that. And I hear people, just all kinds of guys saying, Hey, I know your brother. I had coffee with your brother. Wow. It was life giving to me. And they might not even be, I know a few of the guys that you are in close relationship with, but even some of the guys beyond that circle are benefiting from, uh, from you just reaching out and they feel like at least, They've got an advocate. Yeah, I just uh, I hear a similar thing, Greg. But for me, it's um, I know your dad. I met your dad. They're talking about you. <laughs> well, well, I am. I have old a enough for your dad, I guess. Yeah. And I have a different experience because people tell Chris that uh, you're his dad, and people think I'm you, and so yeah, they don't know. And, and, and uh, everybody I know thinks that I wrote all of your books that the two of you have written. And I used to say, no, that's my brother's now. I just say, thank you. <laughs> hey, one, one more real important question. And thanks for taking time. I know this is a, a busy season, a busy day, but uh, I appreciate taking time. Probably most important question, Chris and I talked about this a little earlier in the podcast, but I need to know uh, who you, who do you have in the Super Bowl? And we, uh, I really as we're recording, I really don't care. 
as we're recording right yeah. now, we are we're through part of the wild we're through the wild card round. So who do you got? Come on, I don't want to hear. I don't care. I need I need a couple teams. I'm trying to care. Um, you know, as a Denver Bronco fan, I just hate Kansas City. Um, and uh, but you shouldn't base it on who you hate, right? Um, and but by the way, another note is like the Patriots is just totally conflicting to me, right? Uh, because uh, you know they're the evil empire, and uh, Darth Vader has been replaced by uh, <laughs> a guy who I read about him. I thought, oh, who's going to take that job? And I thought, I really like this guy. And so I don't know what I'm going to have to do there. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the Texans are a good story. Yeah. I'm up here in Michigan, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This is a great week to be from Michigan. Right. Uh, yeah, and uh, Detroit's kind of a fun story. Yeah. So I don't know. So we're we're I'm marking him down, Chris. He's got Detroit and uh, Houston in the in the Super Bowl. So I'm gonna uh, say he's gonna be wrong, but yeah. Well, we can all have our opinions. Right. Well, we, we've heard from you, so we'll we'll see. We'll see. All right, Greg. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. What do you think of that? Like my biggest thing is. Like I thought, man, I, I love the stuff he gave us. I love the the kind of keys to resting and some of the stuff about just, just practical things to do. Um, when you think about the fact he's had however many, over a thousand leaders come through and they're asking these questions, like they're learning a lot of good stuff. The one thing I did not understand, like why is he in Michigan? Like he, he according to him, he's world famous and why is he in Michigan in January? Like, hey, and again, listen to me. I'm for the Lions, but I'm not going to Michigan in January. The guy has the means. He ha he's, he's a legend in his own mind. He could instruct his assistants. I think he's got like five, six assistants. He could instruct them to not send him anywhere north of the Dixie uh, in, the, in, the, in the winter. He yeah. has. He could do that. He has one assistant. He does, yeah. And her name's Kathy, and he still shares her with Seacoast. So, yeah. And she's been his assistant for probably 30 years. Oh, Kathy's only 39, so there's no way. <laughs> Kathy's awesome. We both worked with, worked for, worked with yeah. Kathy. She's great. He doesn't have six assistants. Does he have a private jet? Like, does he have like the retreat? Does it, is there a retreat jet? The uh, church uh, uh, retreat. Creek. Oh, what's the name of the? Uh, the retreated. The retreated Church Creek. I wonder if Church Creek jet. Yes. Yeah, I no. think he does. There's yeah. no. He doesn't. There's no jet. All right. Well, you know what? I think that's episode one. Like, was there anything else we needed to talk about? Like, we were going to talk about a couple weeks ago. A guy in Alabama. Did you see this? Guy in Alabama drives up to a Bass Pro, goes inside strips all his clothes off and dives into the aquarium like to me that's the most southern thing i've ever heard like did you see that i did and unfortunately i was scrolling through um doing the death scroll through twitter and somebody put a uh, unedited uncensored video oh oh it. oh and i will never recover no. from that no no wow. no you do have to rethink your life if you're stripping naked and diving into the aquarium at bass pro 
He did it twice. Did you he see? did it he twice. Yeah, he <laughs> no. got out. And then, uh, now, I will say, he had mental health issues. And oh. crashed his car with his family and all that oh, stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, my bad. But yeah, the guy, the guy dove in twice. Yep. Wow. Yeah, good ending. Good ending for episode one. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Made me look terrible. That's great. Thanks for doing that. Hey, Chris. Yeah, you know, hey, one last question. Like, you, you've done a lot of podcasts. Um, how many podcasts do you think last fa- past the first episode, like percentage-wise? That you and I have tried? No, no. You and I have- no, 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 no. No, we're not going into that. No, overall, I wonder what percentage of podcasts that, hey, let's do an episode, and then they never do another one. I think most of them get through probably at least three or four because three or they'll, four. They'll, batch, they'll batch record them, and uh-huh. then and – then, because that's what happens, and they're like, oh, we need more content. Oh, never mind. So you think like, so church plants, church plants that cut off is two years. Like if you can make it through two years, then that's, that's a good sign. That's a good thing. So how many episodes we have to make it through before we might actually be going? I think if we can get through at least probably 10. 10. we've made a mark. 10. This is our first I one. The, I did the same uh, podcast for seven years. Well, yeah, I know. And you know, everybody and Joel's on speed dial. I'm just saying this is, this is our first one and it wasn't very good. And now, and now we got to come up with nine more. That's crazy. All right. We'll see what we can do. Hey, thanks for listening. Um, this is the podcast and, uh, yeah. What do they say? Subscribe, like, and comment, uh, do those things and we'll see you soon. Bye.